Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yule Among the Sleepless, a podcast miniseries by Mike Bennett. This podcast is intended for an adult audience. It contains adult situations and really rather rude words. Episode 5 Here he is, said Jimmy to the others sitting around the pub table when Wayne finally arrived late to his own meeting at half-past seven the following night. Oi, Wayne! He waved across the bar. Over here! The pub was crowded with early evening drinkers and Wayne didn't hear his name above the buzz of chatter and wizards, I wish it could be Christmas every day, playing over the music system. But on seeing Jimmy's hand through the throng, he waved in reply and came over. They were all here ahead of him sat around a small round table in the corner, and Wayne saw with annoyance that the seats on either side of Lucy were occupied by Mick and Jimmy. Sally sat opposite Lucy, and the only remaining chair was between Jimmy and Sally. That was what he got for being late. "'Sorry I'm late,' Wayne puffed. "'Bloody manageress made me work right up to the end of my shift "'because we were blooming busy. "'Normally she lets me go early if I have a crisis "'or something I need to get to, but not tonight.' "'He shook his head in disgust. "'I had to wait right up till the part-timer came in.' "'What a monster,' said Lucy, "'making you do what you paid for.' "'Yeah,' said Wayne, not catching the sarcasm. "'Too right. "'Do you often have these crises that call you away early, Wayne?' asked Sally. Nah, you got to play them cards carefully, or else they won't work when you really need them, you know? You can only have so many migraines or backaches before people start wondering if you're not having them on. Sounds like you might have passed that threshold already then, mate, said Jimmy. Your boss must be onto you. Here, look, anyway, he motioned to the assembled group. We've had to start without you. Ah, shit, said Wayne, his eyes on Lucy. I'm sorry. Don't worry, Wayne, said Sally. I only arrived five minutes ago. 
Me too, said Mick. How long have you been here, Lucy? Wayne asked. Lucy indicated her full glass of red wine. Only just got here. Whereas me, said Jimmy, raising an almost empty pint glass. I was the only mug to get here on time. All right, said Wayne with a smile. That's all right then. A quick glance around the table revealed that Jimmy's was the only glass that required refreshing. The perfect time, he thought, to volunteer to buy a round. Anyone need a drink? Jimmy held up his glass. Stella! Wayne went to the bar, ordered himself and Jimmy a pint of Stella Artois, and then returned to the table. Sally removed her coat and bag from the seat, and Wayne sat down. Well, he said, here we are then, all together for the very first time. Cheers, here's to us, the survivors of Brian McBride. He raised his glass, and everyone raised theirs in acknowledgement. Wayne clinked his glass against Sally's as she attempted to lower it. Chin-chin! He took a sup of his pint and smiled at Lucy. So, Lucy, back from down under, eh? Yeah, said Lucy, just for Christmas. Are you... Wayne started. He was going to ask her if she was in the same line of work, but realised in time it was a wildly inappropriate question. Are you enjoying it down there? Yeah, I'm in Sydney. It's a great city. Lucy was just telling us how she's a Reiki therapist now, said Sally. Reiki, said Wayne. What's that all about? It's a type of alternative therapy, said Lucy, reluctant to discuss the topic with Wayne. Though from what you were saying, said Mick, it sounds like a massage. Massage is a part of it, said Lucy. I got into it through massage. Oh, Wayne's eyebrows jumped. So you, uh, you do massage? Lucy took a sip of her drink. She saw no need to answer the question since you'd already stated as much. That, and she didn't like the glint in Wayne's eye. I bet you're good at that. Well, obviously she is if she does it for a living, said Mick. Yeah, of course, said Wayne. Of course she is. He took a drink and looked down at the table, trying not to think of Lucy's oiled hands running up his thighs. Do you still have that bike of yours? Lucy asked Mick. Yeah, but uh, I don't get out on it much these days. I have a bit further to go to work, so I drive a moped now. What is it you do? Ah, said Mick with a hint of reluctance. You know, keep him busy. He's a private detective, said Sally. A what? said Lucy, astonished. Mick gave Sally a disapproving glance before turning to Lucy with a shrug. That's not all that, really. Most of the time it's actually pretty boring. Is that why you cut your mallet off? said Wayne. Sorry? Your mallet, you know, your hairdo. You've had it all cut off. Mick shifted in his seat, uncomfortable with his hair being the focus of conversation. Yeah, well, a lot of the job involves following people, so it doesn't pay to stand out in any way. Regulation short back and sides these days. Bet you feel the old chill on your neck on nights like this, eh? Yes, mate, said Mick, unsmiling. Lucy, feeling Mick's discomfort even if Wayne didn't, shifted the subject back to where it had been before Wayne's idiot digression. How did you get into that, Mick? Well, it was uh, after the Brian McBride business, actually. I thought that since me and Sally had done a pretty good job of working out who he was when it seemed to have completely flummoxed the police, maybe I could give it a go as a career. Couldn't be any worse than data entry, right? So what happened? 
Ah, you know, I did a course, got a qualification, set up shop. I do all right. Divorce work mostly, you know, spying on wayward husbands and snapping them in the act. But it's long hours. Very long hours, said Sally. Yeah, it's pretty demanding that way. I hardly ever saw you. I know, and I'm sorry. Look, Sal, can we not do this now? Sally took a sip of her drink and turned away. Sorry, said Lucy. I didn't mean to put my foot in it. No, no said Mick and Sally simultaneously, but Sally went on. It's my fault. I shouldn't have said anything. It's just... Mick and I... She looked at Mick as if for approval. Mick shrugged and picked up his pint. We were together for a while, but we broke up last year, and, well, this is the first time we've really seen each other since. Oh, I am sorry, said Lucy. Should we talk about something else, said Mick. Probably a good idea, said Jimmy. Yes, said Sally. After all, this is a survivors meeting, and Lucy's first at that. To Lucy, she said, It's great to see you again after so long. It was such a shame we lost touch. Yeah, said Lucy, which reminds me, Sal, could you give me your number? I'm around for a week or two and it would be nice to meet up sometime on our own. No offence, anybody. Of course, said Sally. I can text it to you. What's your number? With a sideways glance at Wayne, Lucy said, could you just scribble it down on a piece of paper for me and uh, I'll add it later. Seeing her disapproving glance, Sally said, sure. She pulled a pen from her bag and wrote her number on a beer mat out of Wayne's line of sight, then handed it to Lucy across the table. Thanks, she said with a smile. I'll give you a ring tomorrow. Putting the beer mat into her pocket, she gave Wayne a pointed glance, her eyes letting him know his brief manipulation of the situation was over. So uh, how long were you around after it happened, Lucy? The McBride thing? Only a week or so. I rented my place out straight after and went travelling. Was that because of him? No, not exactly. I'd been thinking about it off and on for a while, but I suppose you could say events at that time were the last straw. Wayne shrank a little in his seat. So how much do you know? asked Sally. Not a lot. It took the police a while to put it all together, didn't it? By the time it all came out, I was long gone. You didn't follow it on the internet? asked Mick. No, when I was travelling in the Far East, it was the last thing on my mind. And by the time I settled down in Sydney, I'd more or less forgotten all about it. I mean, it's not like he was after me, was it? I barely even saw the guy. Lucky for you, said Sally. So who was he? His name was Brian McBride, said Sally. He was very ill. A blooming nutter, more like, said Wayne. He was a recluse said Mick, inherited his parents' house when they died and lived there on his own for years. After he was dead and the police had ID'd him, they went to the house and it was a total tip, like all the worst episodes of how clean is your house rolled into one. You know, trash piled high in every room, junk, vermin, you name it. Jesus, Lucy wrinkled her nose. How could he live like that? Well, like Sally said, he was very ill, Doctors had him on antipsychotic meds, but I guess they had no idea how far gone he was. Yeah, mad enough to get benefits, but not mad enough to be in a fucking nuthouse, said Jimmy. He should have been in a padded cell, but instead he was allowed to sit at home, stop taking his pills, and get it into his diseased fucking mind that there was someone out there who could make it all go away. And poor Gaz was one of them, till McBride realised he wasn't, and he fucking murdered him. 
That was the pattern, said Mick. McBride would fixate on someone who, for some reason, he thought was like some kind of human cure, a guru or a magician or something like that that could help him. But when he found out they weren't, because obviously nobody could be, he, um, he shrugged and reached for his drink. But how do they know all this about him if he's dead? asked Lucy. Police found hundreds of notebooks in McBride's house full of manic, obsessive writing about it, about a person he only ever referred to as The One. The One? That was this guru thing of his, was it? Yeah. And so he thought Peter Reynolds was The One, she turned to Jimmy, that your friend Gaz was The One, and finally to Sally, and that you were The One. Sally nodded. Yeah. But why? Why them? Why you? No one knows for sure. Police and psychiatrists can only speculate since no one who could have asked him survived to talk about it. You did, said Wayne. Yeah, but he didn't talk to me about it. All that he said was I was the one. Maybe he said that to the other victims too. We don't know. Police now believe there were six victims in total. Six victims, said Lucy. Who were the others? Just... People, seemingly no connection between any of them. An old man in Crawley was the first. He lived near McBride and police think he may have chosen him with the most consideration. After that, there was a shop assistant in Three Bridges, an office worker in Haywood Heath, a retired priest in Burgess Hill, a homeless person in Brighton, and then Peter Reynolds. And there's no connection between them? asked Lucy. Only in the case of Peter and Gaz, said Sally. What, because they were neighbours? Well, actually there's a bit more to it than that, said Mick. There were photos in Peter's flat. We saw them when we went in, but we didn't get a chance to look at them closely. But it turns out they were all of Gaz, Jimmy and Glenn. Peter had taken them from his room with a large zoom lens. Yeah, Reynolds was a fucking nutter as well, said Jimmy. Poured fucking petrol through our letterbox, he did. Tried to fucking kill us. Why? asked Lucy. Because he thought we were a bit noisy. Fucking loony. You were a bit noisy, said Wayne. Too bloody noisy. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy chuckled. As I seem to remember you telling us once before. He raised an imaginary water rifle and aimed it at Wayne's face. Lucy said, What, so because Peter had pictures of Gaz, McBride concluded that he must have been the one or the next one. We don't know, said Sally, but the police think probably yes, something like that. So then maybe there were similar connections between the other victims? None that have ever come to light. They seem to be purely random. Peter and Gaz are the only ones who live near each other or had anything like the photos. The rest were scattered all over the place. Well, not quite all over the place, Sal, said Mick. Remember my idea about the public transport route and the fact that none of them had cars? They all used public transport. That's why McBride ended up in Brighton. Yeah, you told the police that, said Sally. They said there was nothing in it. He was just travelling south. Yeah, well, I still think they're wrong. Sally turned to Lucy. As you can see, Mick has a few theories of his own. I do, said Mick. I don't think they're as sound as anyone else's. Really, said Lucy. What are they then, Mick? Mick leaned in closer to the table. Well, for one, and I've always thought this was significant, even if I'm the only one who does, is this public transport thing. Peter, 
first encountered McBride on a bus, he told me that himself. After that, McBride started following him. This was when he looked like someone out of ZZ Top, you know, big beard and shades. I was actually with Peter once in McDonald's when McBride turned up outside. <sighs> really freaked him out. But anyway, bearing in mind McBride was living on the street, I think that that is where he first chose most of his victims. Or his next one, if you prefer. He'd clock them on the street and he'd start following them. Some of them would get away because they had cars, but others like Peter, used public transport, and so he could follow them home. McBride's journey south follows bus and train routes town by town to Brighton. That wasn't intentional on McBride's part. It's just where his victims led him. He raised a finger to Sally. Don't forget that shop assistant, who was from Three Bridges, had been to Crawley shortly before he died to visit friends. Yeah, but that was the only time there was anything like that, said Sally. The only time we know of, said Mick. I think all the victims, as you go south, had been in the previous victims' hometown to the north at some point before they were killed. With the shop assistant, it was a recent trip, so the police knew about it. But with the others, it could have been weeks, maybe months before. Who knows how long he stalked them before he finally made contact. Jimmy nodded. Makes as much sense as anything else, man. Well, he's a detective, isn't he? said Wayne. He's bound to have some ideas. Be a pretty poor one if he didn't. What's your other theories, Mick? Ah, oh, they're little things mostly. Just pieces of the jigsaw that fit, sort of. He turned to Sally. Do you remember what he said to you on top of the bus about how you were the one and you knew it? He said he thought I knew it, said Sally. Yeah, well, in a way he was right, wasn't he? You were the one to make the problems in his head go away. Sally, who had heard this theory many times from Mick when they'd been together, gave him a wan smile and raised her eyebrows as if to say, You really want to share this? Mick, who was expert at reading Sally, shrugged and said, Just saying. No one's come up with anything better, have they? I don't follow, said Lucy. Sally turned to her. Mick thinks I actually was the one because, by pursuing me, McBride met his end. As in died, said Mick. But it wasn't you who, uh... Lucy found the word she wanted to use difficult to utter. Killed him? Offered Mick. Yeah, but, as Sally says, that only came about because he pursued her. She led him to his end, to his final release. To Sally, he said, What did you call it? Is it quiet? His quietus, Sally corrected. Yeah, that's it. She was the one who brought him to his quietus. I was only the tool. Wayne chuckled. <laughs> yeah, you were his tool. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe when he realised it was you who was going to kill him, he changed his mind. Are you sure he didn't point up to you as he was falling off the bus and shout, No, you, I meant you, you're the one. <laughs> Laughing, he looked around the table for approval of his wit, but didn't find any. No, mate, said Mick. Wayne's grin wilted. <laughs> nah, nah, I was just joking, but uh, but if your theory's right, he might have done, mightn't he? If he'd had time to realise it. Maybe, said Mick. We'll never know. Sally gave him a small smile. She'd never lost any of her affection for Mick, and she knew he felt the same about her. It was his job that had been the cause of their split. 
Lack of money when starting the business had meant Mick had had to do everything himself. He'd never been able to afford to hire any help, not even on a part-time basis, and to her knowledge that had never changed. Sally had helped him out as and when she could, but when she got the manager's job at Hardy's Books in Worthing, she'd had no time left to give. Mick had worked longer and longer hours till it got to the point that, despite living together as a couple in the flat he'd been renting when they first met, they were barely seeing one another. Arguments followed, and their relationship had grown more and more strained. Then, when one day the woman who owned the flat above Hardy's books had told Sally she was looking for a new tenant, Sally had told her something she hadn't realised until that moment. She was looking for a new flat herself. She looked at the emptiness behind Mick's neck where his mullet had once been. He'd still had it when she left. He looked a lot better for losing it. So, what are you doing for Christmas? She asked him aside. Going around my mum and dad's, I expect, said Mick. My brother and his wife and kids will be there, so it should be fairly jolly. Not working, then? Nah. No, things are better these days. I've got a part-time PA that comes in a few days a week. She's brilliant. Oh, said Sally, feeling an irrational stab of jealousy. I hope you aren't working her too hard. Oh, no, I couldn't work her too hard if I tried. She's super efficient. She used to work in London at a top law firm, but she took early retirement. Working for me is just a bit of a hobby for her. Gets her out of the house, you know. Early retirement? How old is she? With a smile, Mick said, It would be unprofessional of me to say so. Oh, come on, you can tell us, said Wayne, who had apparently been listening with more interest than was appropriate. How old is she? Old enough to be your grandma, put it that way. That would do you, wouldn't it, Wayne? Said Jimmy with a chuckle. Oh, ha, ha, said Wayne. I wasn't asking like that. I was just curious. Course you was. As Wayne struggled to defend himself, Mick turned aside to Sally and said, So what about you? What are you doing for Christmas? Sally gave a slight shrug. Nothing special. What's that? I don't know. Just staying in, you know. You're not going home to your parents? No, I'm working on Christmas Eve, so I won't be able to get up to them in time. So I'll just be spending a quiet one here. What about your flatmate? Oh, she's going home for three or four days. So you'll be alone for Christmas? Yeah, Sally lowered her eyes. But, you know, it's okay. It's just another day, really, isn't it? Well, yeah, but at the same time, no. You know, Christmas, it's nice to have company, isn't it? Cautiously, he laid his hand over hers on the armrest of her chair and gave it a small squeeze. You know, you could always come to mine if you want. She met his eyes. But you're going to your parents. Well, don't have to. And, well, you know, if you want, you could come too. I know they'd love to see you. But we're not together anymore, Mick. So what? We're friends, aren't we? Sally felt a sudden pricking of tears behind her eyes. She turned her hand around to take his. Thank you. That would be nice. As long as you're sure they won't mind. Mick smiled. They won't. You know they love you, Sal. They'll be made up. Sally was about to reply when she was suddenly elbowed by a highly animated Wayne. She turned to see him clutching his head. I can't, Wayne cried, his eyes closed. I just can't. 
Come on, tell us, you plonker, said Jimmy. That's what we're all here for, to hear about your bloody nightmares. My bloody nightmares? Oh, that's sympathetic, that is. Who do you think you are, Sigmund Freud? That's all you're here for, is it? To have a good stare into my bleeding subconscious? Wayne, Lucy intervened. I think I speak for everyone when I say that's the last thing that anyone wants to do. But it is why you said you'd called this meeting. Yeah, well, I'm all right now, aren't I? I didn't have one last night or the night before. I reckon I'm cured. Oh, yeah, <laughs> said Jimmy, chuckling with distinct undertones of Sid James. When Wayne looked at him, he inclined his head slightly to indicate Lucy. Oh, I get ya. Wayne forced a smile, feigning ignorance of the inference. <laughs> Good, yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm feeling a lot better now. But seriously, Wayne, said Jimmy, if your nightmares come back, I'd go and see a shrink. That's what me and Glenn did in the end. On the National Health like, didn't cost nothing. Oh, ha- have you got a number for him? It's a her, Dr Haynes. And yeah, I've got it at home somewhere. I'll text it to you. <laughs> ah, cheers, mate. Wayne lifted his glass in a half toast. Well, that's that sorted then. We can all go home now. <laughs> he laughed, but when no one else smiled, he put down the drink and said, <laughs> Nah, just kidding. This meeting's not just about me, is it? He turned to Lucy. Lucy, do you have anything you need to share? Lucy shrugged, surprised to be asked. No. Are you sure? It's a very traumatic experience, having a maniac living upstairs. Not as traumatic as having a maniac living downstairs. She took a sip of her wine. Wayne squirmed. Ah, uh, I, uh... I'm fine, Wayne, as I told you on the phone. As you know, I only really came along tonight to see Sally and get her number. Really? said Sally, puzzled. But if you spoke to Wayne, he could have just given it to you. She turned to Wayne. Couldn't you? <laughs> well, I could, said Wayne. But as I explained to Lucy when she asked me, it's confidential information, of the shop like. But you have my number anyway, don't you? No, no, I deleted it. Once we stopped having the meetings, I wanted to put all the Brian McBride business behind me, you know. Get on with me life. So has that been working out? asked Mick. Eh? Wayne noticed Mick and Sally's hands entwined together on the armrest of her chair. Your life. Last time we spoke about it wasn't going so well. Oh, nah, it's all good now. Wayne nodded, somewhat too enthusiastically. Got my own place, got a job. <laughs> it's, uh, it's brilliant. And now you've even got a psychiatrist, said Lucy. What about your love life, Wayne? Asked Jimmy, grinning. Is that brilliant? Wayne laughed. <laughs> yeah, what? Yeah, no, not no, not really. I'm, uh... He recalled a word his boss Sandra used to describe her relationship status. I'm a singleton. Ah, a free agent, eh? Jimmy nodded. Nice one, man. Same here. Got to keep your options open, ain't you? Ha, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wayne glanced at Lucy. You never know what's going to come along, do you? He dropped his eyes to his pint and took a long drink. At that moment, a man behind the bar, the pub landlord going by his manor, called out an announcement, and the busy pub fell silent as everyone turned to listen. 
Ladies and gentlemen, as you know, tonight we have the pleasure of hosting a performance by members of the Brunswick Choral Group. We are going to sing a selection of favourite carols to raise money for the homeless at Christmas. Someone will be round to you soon with a bucket to take any donations and give you a lyric sheet for those of you who'd like to join in. You don't have to have a good voice. God knows I don't. But the more the merrier. Once it was finished, drinkers returned to their conversations many with newly delighted expressions. One such person was Sally. Oh, that's nice. I love carols. Fuck me, I don't, said Jimmy. Why didn't you tell us there was going to be singing in here tonight, Wayne? I didn't know, said Wayne, which was true. He had chosen the venue on the spot as he'd been on the phone to Jimmy, as it used to be his local when he lived in nearby Wellington Street. But now, looking more closely at the A4 poster announcing Christmas carols on the wall above Mick's head, he saw the date was indeed tonight. Well, Lucy set down her empty glass. Much as I enjoy carols, I think that's my cue to leave. I'll give you a ring tomorrow afternoon, Sal, and we can arrange a time and place, OK? Yeah, that'd be great. No, said Wayne, alarmed. No, Lucy, don't go. You've only just got here. Have another drink. He reached into his pocket for his wallet. I'm buying. Oh, yeah, said Jimmy. Oh, well, if that's the case, maybe I could stick around for a bit. Sorry, Wayne, said Lucy. I have to go. She pulled on her woolly hat and got up. With a glance around the table that skipped Wayne and ended on Mick, she said, Well, it's been lovely seeing everyone and catching up, but uh, family duty calls. So, Merry Christmas, everyone, and Happy New Year. As everyone returned her good wishes and said their goodbyes, Wayne felt panic rising within him. He fought to be cool, struggling to affect an air of amicable nonchalance, but the mask of his smile was warping and buckling with the pressure of the scream behind it. She was leaving, walking away towards the door without so much as a backwards glance. Now the others were returning to their drinks, to each other, to the bloody survivors meeting that he'd called but couldn't give a damn about. And he should return to it too. That would be the normal thing to do, the sensible thing. But if Lucy walked out of that door, one thing Wayne knew with absolute certainty was that he would never see her again. Same again then, Wayne, said Jimmy, tapping the rim of his glass. A few flakes of snow blew in, as Lucy opened the front door, and then she was gone. I can't, said Wayne, his eyes still fixed on the door. I've got to go. Go, said Sally. But what about the meeting? Your nightmares? Pulling on his coat, Wayne turned to her and said, with an honesty that surprised him as much as anyone else at the table, My nightmare, Sally, is never seeing that woman again. I love her, and I've got to tell her. Sally, Mick and Jimmy watched speechless as without a word of farewell, Wayne hurried from their table and pushed open the door into a small flurry of snowflakes to disappear after Lucy. Will Wayne tell Lucy how he feels or will he chicken out and offer her 50 quid for a good thrashing? All will be revealed in the final episode of Yule Among the Sleepless. So, uh, definitive then, 
Everything that Mick speculates is basically right as far as I'm concerned. That's what happened. Uh, and, and for me, that's always what happened. Um, and that's it. The music you're listening to is by Lost Dog. And the opening theme is by Pothole. Both tracks kindly provided courtesy of the artists. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.